And uh, we're going to look at chapter 3 tonight. And I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. And uh, so if you would listen and hear the Word of God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand, and He will clear His threshing floor and gather His wheat into the barn. But the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. And Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by Him. But John would have prevented Him, saying, I need, to be, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is My beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we come to a text tonight that in some ways is very powerful, but in other ways, is also very strange. And we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We desperately need to hear from you. We need to hear from this text. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and prepare us to receive the Word of God? Would you lead us to humility, to repentance, to faith, and to obedience through the power of your word? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you look on the back of that computer, my wife's computer over there, you'll see an apple with a bite out of it. 
right? And, and everyone in this room knows what that means. They understand that it, that is the mark of, of a company uh, that makes computers and other pieces of technology. And to me, what's interesting about that particular company and that particular logo is for a time, I think that time has passed, but for a time, that mark became more than just a corporate logo. It became the mark of a community. People will talk about the Apple community. Right? They, it was as if there was a movement connected to this technology. So that if you purchased and had an item with that mark on it, or put that mark on your car, or whatever else, you were swearing fealty to Steve Jobs and his movement towards techno-utopia. Right? It was a movement with a leader. And that mark connected people to that community. Baptism in Matthew chapter 3 is a lot like that apple with a bite out of it. It is the mark of a movement with a leader. It is the mark of a community gathered around Jesus. And remember from last week that Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus is better than Moses leading His people on a greater exodus towards a truer freedom than the freedom of the promised land that we find in the Old Testament. And as Jesus leads this movement, and Matthew introduces us into that movement, He gathers a community around Him, and they are marked. Uh, They have a logo put on them in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 3. And, and Matthew continues to talk about this greater exodus and greater Moses here. And, and he, he continues that theme as he talks about John. And he connects John to a, prophet from, to a prophecy from Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. Right? This, this, these words about being out in the wilderness and a voice crying to prepare the way of the Lord. And isn't that what happened in the story of Israel? As they came out of Egypt, they came through the wilderness. God led them on the way through wilderness to freedom in the promised land. And Matthew is saying with John and with Jesus, it's happening again. And it's happening in a greater way. And that's why John does things the way he does. Because what does he do? He goes out to the desert, right? He goes out to the wilderness. And where does he baptize people? In the Jordan, how did Israel enter into the freedom of the promised land? They traveled through the Jordan. Okay, so the symbolism of this chapter, Matthew is once again connecting us to this new exodus. And the baptisms of John and Jesus are the logo of that movement. They are the mark of the community that belongs to the new Moses that is on the journey of the new exodus. Now, what does that have to do with us? It all sounds like an exciting and interesting story, but what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do uh, with this week? Well, I want to look at this chapter, and I want to look at the baptisms of John and Jesus and ask two questions that will help us understand what this has to do with us. First of all, who belongs to Jesus and His movement? 
And second of all, how can we belong to Jesus and His movement? So who belongs and how do we belong? As we look at the figure of John, he seems to be more about who doesn't belong, doesn't he? John here is not exactly the figure of tolerance and inclusivity. He goes out into the middle of nowhere. He wears a hair shirt. Um, He eats strange food and he yells at people, right? Um, And he calls them snakes. And actually, some scholars think the word he used here uh, when he calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees a brood of vipers is a particular type of snake in that type of the world, that eats its mother as it is born. So he is calling people mother-murdering snakes. Alright? Not exactly soft, inclusive, right? Um, and, and he confronts, and he is strange. But in everything that John does, he is showing us that he's a prophet. He is the last, greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Because the job of the prophet was to stand outside of the culture. Was to be countercultural and to address the culture and say, no, that is not the way things should be done. The job of the prophet was to be strange in order to confront the status quo. And to say, this is not how life should be. This is not the way things should be. And why do they do that? Well, prophets confront in order to prepare. They confront the people of God in order to prepare the people of God for something new that God is going to accomplish. Some new work of God. They're confronting people in order to prepare them. And so what does John say? He says someone is coming. And this person is coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. This person is coming with the saving and judging presence of God. God is showing up in this individual that is on his way. And this individual will make distinctions. He will distinguish between who belongs to God's people and who doesn't. Between the wheat and the chaff, the trees that bear fruit and those that don't. And so John says to people, he confronts them in order to prepare them for the arrival of this significant individual. And how does he prepare them? Well, he baptizes them in the Jordan, right? What does that do? What does baptism in the Jordan? How does that prepare people for this new work of God? Well, look at a few verses with me here. Uh, Verse 6. Let me just remind you of a few things that we read about what John is doing. Verse 6, it says, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, and this is the key phrase, confessing their sins. And then verse 7, he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out to them, and he says to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the path to come, bear fruit in keeping with what? With repentance. And then one more verse, verse 11. He explains what he is doing. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. And of course, what's the first word out of John's mouth when he shows up on the scene? Repent. 
Baptism in the Jordan was simply an expression of this concept of repentance. And it's one of those words that we say a lot in the Christian church and often don't take time to define it. But repentance is a directional term. Okay, you remember when we were studying the book of Ruth, that first chapter, Naomi is in Moab and she is empty. And she decides that she needs to go to Bethlehem to be full. And so she heads towards Bethlehem. And all throughout the chapter, it uses the word for repentance to talk about her return to Bethlehem. It's a directional term. It is to say, the way that I am walking right now isn't working. Let me head in another direction. And so John comes and he calls people to repentance. He baptizes them in the waters of the Jordan. And what they are saying is, the way that we are doing things does not work. We need another way. We need another direction. And John confronts those who are too comfortable or too confident to to own that truth. That their way doesn't work. And this is the speech to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were two very different political and religious groups of leaders. uh, Very different agendas. The Sadducees wanted to compromise with Rome and, and just kind of live a comfortable life under the Roman Empire. The Pharisees, they wanted as much faithfulness and obedience to the Old Testament law as possible. Uh, because they thought if they could be precise enough, God would finally show up and rescue them. And John says, neither way works. Neither way will produce the fruit, that's the image he uses, right, of the tree and the fruit. Neither approach is going to produce the life that God wants for you and God wants for His people. Neither way will produce the fruit. You're, you're planted in the wrong place. And he says to them in verse 9, you're you're planted into your Abrahamic identity. Because you're a descendant of Abraham, because of your ethnicity, uh, because of your circumcision, you are resting in that and you think that your way is best because you're circumcised or you're a son of Abraham. And John says, no, God can raise the sons of Abraham out of these stones. You have to be willing to own the truth that your way doesn't work. You have to be willing for God to uproot you from the soil in which you are living and plant you somewhere else. So the people who belong to Jesus and His movement are a people marked by repentance. They are people who can hear and receive the painful truth that their way will not produce life, it will produce death. They can receive the truth that their way is not best and they need to be pointed in a different direction. When we were potty training um, our daughter Georgia, um, there were, I, I remember one particular day where it, just, it was not going well. And, and I grew more and more frustrated, more and more angry. And, and there was one more accident. And, and I was cleaning her up and laying into her, giving her the business. You're too old for this. It shouldn't be happening. And she looked at me with those big blue eyes 
And in all, and there was no disrespect here. There was no anger on her part. She looked at me and she said, Daddy, you're being a mean man. (laughs) Ouch, right? And again, it, it didn't come from a place of anger or disrespect. It was the truth. And it was devastating. But I needed to hear it. And John's message that your way will not produce life is devastating. It is a painful message, but it is true. And we need to hear it. Will you receive that message tonight? Will you receive that message this week? This is why the Christian life begins and ends in humility. Because humility is the the ability to receive a painful truth like that. To every day hear that our way is not life. It is death. And we need to walk towards Jesus. Or to use John's other metaphor, to receive the truth that if we plant our life in gaining the respect and admiration of other people, if we live life rooted in what other people think of us, it will not produce life. It will produce death. If we live our lives rooted in the pursuit of as much fun as possible, as much pleasure as possible, if we root our lives in that, it will not produce life, it will produce death. If we root our lives in accomplishment, whether it's moral or academic or vocational accomplishment, if we root our life there, if that's where we try to find life, it will not produce life, it will produce death. And the people who belong to Jesus and His movement are marked by an ability to hear and receive that painful message. The person who belongs to Jesus and His movement is marked by repentance. But how do you live like that? I mean, isn't that exposing ourselves uh, to being crushed by shame? If you live, if you own that message, how can you live with it? How can you live with the, with the reality that your way is not life, it is death? That raises the second question I want to ask of this passage. We've seen who belongs to the movement of Jesus. It is those who are marked by repentance. But how can we belong to the movement of Jesus and not be crushed by shame? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at a debate about baptism. Um, And it's not the debate between Presbyterians and Baptists. Uh, between Anglicans and Catholics and everybody else. It is the debate between John and Jesus. They have a baptism debate here, right? Jesus comes from Galilee in the north of Israel. He comes down to, to where John is ministering and He says, I want to be baptized. And John says, no way. 
you are more worthy than I am. And John understands that his baptism is a baptism of repentance. And so, Jesus shouldn't have to be baptized with the baptism of repentance, right? John says no, and Jesus says yes. And Jesus insists on being baptized by Him. Why does He do this? Look at verse 15. What is Jesus's, how does He win the argument with John the Baptist? In verse, verse 15, He says to John, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is a word like repentance. It's one we hear and use a lot and rarely take time to understand. But righteousness simply means a situation being made right. It's rightness. It's something that is wrong being made right. And in the context of Scripture and the story of the Bible... It is the relationship between God and His creation being made right. For righteousness to be established, it is uh, for God to accomplish His purpose for His creation and for the relationship between Himself and His creation uh, to be reconciled. It's closely related to this little phrase, the kingdom of heaven, that John uses. And we'll talk about this a lot throughout this series, and I'm not going to unpack everything here uh, because it's a major theme in the Gospel of Matthew. But all I'll say is the kingdom of heaven is righteousness being accomplished. It is God's rule being established on earth. It is heaven coming to earth. That relationship being reconciled. God's will being done. And what happens at the end of this chapter? Beginning of the chapter, John says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is coming. What happens at the end? The heavens are opened, right? God descends, His presence descends in the Holy Spirit on Jesus, and we hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is saying, He is it. This is how righteousness is going to be accomplished. This is how my will will be done. This is how I am coming to earth. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. And how do we get that moment? It is Jesus taking on the baptism of repentance. You see, Jesus didn't sin. And that was what was bothering John. Jesus didn't sin, but He wanted to identify with those who have. He enters once again the journey of Israel in all of Israel's sin and shame, and He identifies with that story, which is the story of our sin and shame as well. John's baptism moves us towards Jesus. Jesus' baptism moves Him towards us where He owns our sin and shame. The Holy Spirit, at the end of the chapter, descends in the form of what? A dove. Where else do we find a dove in Scripture? You remember Noah's flood? Um, God judges the earth and covers it with water. And then God's judgment resides, and life is going to begin anew. And how do we know that life is going to begin anew? Noah sends out the dove and finds the olive branch and brings it back. You see the imagery? Jesus goes through the flood. 
He goes, he is drowned by God's judgment. And he comes out to bring the new life of the Spirit to those who believe in him. And that doesn't happen just symbolically in Matthew chapter 3. It happens in reality in the life of Jesus. Because His life leads Him to the cross where He is drowned by our sin and shame. And then God raises Him from the dead saying, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. And He pours out the Spirit on His people. This is why we can risk a life of repentance. Because Jesus has taken our shame and overcome it with His glory. Because our sin was poured out on Him so that He could pour out His Spirit on us. In a few months, if everything goes well, I'll stand up here and I'll baptize my new probably son. Alright? Probably, hopefully. No. Uh, According to JJ, uh, that's what he wants. So, I'll baptize my son. And understand what I'm doing. When I take the water and put it on his head, I am drowning him. That's the imagery. It's the imagery of the judgment of God poured out on on His people. Why would I do that? Well, because Jesus was drowned for us. He was drowned for Center Point Church. And then He was raised to give us new life. And my Son belongs to this community. And yes, I know there's all sorts of debates about that. I'm not going to enter that tonight, okay? But He belongs to this community for whom Jesus was drowned and raised. He was He belongs to this community, which is a community, yes, that is marked by repentance. But more than that, it is a community marked by righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus accomplishes for us in His life, death, and resurrection. Martin Luther was a great pastor, reformer, theologian of the 16th century. And he wrote a lot about his spiritual struggles and how he in his life would deal with very, very deep chaos and doubt. He was a very tortured man. And he says, when I face those times of darkness, I say to myself, I am baptized, I am baptized, I am baptized. And he says, one of the... Key spiritual practices of a Christian should be to remember our baptism. And so if you have been baptized tonight, I want you to do that. I want you to remember that you have been marked by repentance, but more than that, you have been marked with the righteousness of Jesus Christ if you have put your faith in Him. And even if you have not been baptized, I want us all, more than remembering our baptism, to remember Jesus' baptism. To know that He took our sin in order to accomplish righteousness in us. Would you hear that 
tonight. Would you hear that this week? And may we all find peace in the beauty of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray.